0: Welcome, you're listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exalt in the faith delivered once for all to the saints as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father David Bumstead, the rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida. And I'm joined by my sober
1: and watchful co-host. Father Matthew Ainsley, the vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plan in Horizon West Florida. We're real
0: priests with real jobs in real churches. Service times are in our bio. We'd love for you to join us for worship or uh, join us on Facebook Live.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so weird. Every time. I'm just looking forward to when we don't have to say that anymore.
0: Yeah. Same.
1: Yeah. Hey, where are we right now? We are at Red Light Red Light in Audubon Park, Florida. Yeah
0: which is in Orlando. You're at Red Light, Red Light, our, our local neighborhood pub, and we are joined by Brent Hernandez. Hey, welcome, Brent. Hello. Brent, tell us about yourself. You are the owner here. Owner, head brewer of
2: Red Light, Red Lights. Uh, we started as a beer bar in 2005. In the last five years, we've morphed into a bit of a brew, brew pub, but we still carry beers from all over the world.
1: Awesome. Um, where are you from, bro? <laughs> I
2: was born in Miami, Florida. <laughs> Miami? In, in, yeah. I uh, grew up in West Palm Beach and been here for s- like 19 years now. So. All
1: right. Went to PBA. Uh, went to
2: Palm Beach Atlantic.
1: When it you was a college. You wish.
2: You <laughs> wish. You wish you were a fish.
1: And you were there when it was... <laughs> Just a college. A college. And My, now, now it's a university. Yes. Yeah. My
2: good buddy... Is actually the head of the alumni uh, department, I guess. I forget his
0: position, is, but yeah, it's crazy. Cool. cool. Yeah, my wife went to PBA. Yeah. Uh, we, Dear listener, we're, uh, we're excited because we just discovered how small this world truly is. Very small world. Very small world. There's some deep personal connections.
1: <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about
0: it. <laughs> yeah let's stop there fair enough uh well actually (laughs) that's a good enough segue it's deep enough um so actually you know talking about personal connections you know brent and i have been friends for a number of years now i would say that our friendship has deepened over COVID 19 one of the few few benefits of life in in a pandemic is uh the deepening of friendships and especially mine with brent has been great um actually i'm People have asked me, like, how is it that you uh, and Brent came to be friends? And it's actually a decent story. It's because one time it I was asked, for yeah, well, it's because we well, met at the local bakery. But our, our friendship really deepened when I asked you to brew a beer for us.
2: Right. Well, you asked to purchase beer first. That's true. Yeah. And I said no. <laughs> Let's make beer instead. Yeah, that's way more fun.
0: It is more fun, it, and it has turned out to be more fun. Uh, Dear listener, we at Emmanuel have a a tradition where we we beat the bounds. We have a procession on Rogation Day, uh, the sixth Sunday after Easter, and Brent and Red Light Red Light brew us a really wonderful ale, and the first time we did that, uh, I asked him about it. He says, oh, I'll make you one. I said, what? And he hung up, and then with, like, I'm not kidding, like 15 (laughs) minutes, he called back with like 10 different ways to go about it, and all these different recipes, and went into, like, I'm not kidding, like the mineral content of each possible uh, beer. And it was really, really cool. And so we've been friends ever since. Yeah, and you were
1: mystifying. Like, why do we have 1,500 people at Evensong? <laughs> <laughs> <is> w- wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
2: Everybody was, was, was good. Uh,
0: and we have Brent here with us today to talk about um, monastic brewing. Um, which is something that he's uh, he's done quite a bit of work and research uh, and presentations about. So, uh, but before that, we thought it would be interesting for him to curate some of his favorite beers from that tradition. So, what do you got? What do you got for us today? We've got a few different selections we can choose sure.
1: from. Um
2: We'll start with a lighter colored one. Sounds Pretty good. Different. All right.
0: Uh, now, of course, as we begin to uh, to you know crack open some of these these really delicious beers, we want to make sure that we understand that uh, this little caveat. This is not a license for a debauch, Father Matt. <laughs> no, this is a, a tasting. <laughs> a tasting. That's right. We want to enjoy They're the product. Very
2: small glasses in
0: front. Yeah. Of you. So we want to make sure that we give our, our Props and respect to our friends and family in recovery And remember to enjoy Safely, moderation uh, Where your are be, be responsible
1: Yeah Enjoy it not as an end in itself But as a means to enjoy an almighty God Oh, perfect uh, Reference back to the, the Borsma podcast which, oh, is, yeah. which is keeping the show going oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir Thank you. Tell us about this, Brad, please. So, this is a West Mall Triple.
2: Uh, so, Triple is a pretty well- recognized style now, but this was the very first one ever cool. brewed. And I believe it was the 1940s
1: or 30s when they first developed this, uh, this recipe. Very good. Very cool. Um, and I'm holding it very close to the yeah. microphone right now. So, listener, if you touch <laughs> your tongue to the center <laughs> of the screen, you might be able to get a little bit of taste. If not, maybe a shot. And on your screen, and on the well, on the the note
2: of kind of a you know responsible uh, consuming, so the triples is nine and a half percent alcohol. So this is a hefty beer.
0: Yeah, be careful uh, with that, right?
2: So just so let you know too, the monks are not drinking this every day. Right. This beer would be something kind of special for them, and they have another beer that's a Petters beer that is what they consume every day. Oh, let's come back which to that. Which is much lower. Now. Yeah. So we'll get back to that later. Yeah.
0: Now, so, listener, um, if you're curious as to what this looks like in the glass, um, it's, I would say, a light yellow. It's got, um, you know, it's nice and bubbly, which is... How else do you describe that? Um, Effervescence. Effervescent, thank you. Um, it's taste. How would you describe the taste, besides
1: beery? I have no other word. I'm one of these people that watches the Food Network, and they have all these adjectives for what they're tasting. Like, if I was on there, I'd be like, man, this is a good steak. I like it a lot. You win. It tastes good. <laughs> taste a meaty, I think. <laughs> well, um, it definitely does taste like beer. It's
0: got a, um, on the back end, it has some of that alcohol heat because there's, it's a higher alcohol content. Um, it's Should I break it down?
2: Yeah, break it down for me. All right. Man. Awesome. So.
0: Yeah. 1st we they're going to smell a lot of
2: uh, esters. The yeast that they use produce a lot of uh, esters and uh, phenolics. But uh, the malt backbone's coming through, too, so I get a lot of bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, get some kind of straw flavors, some grassy notes from the hops, uh, bready notes, but also they use uh, a candy sugar. so. Ooh that can provide like kind of a hint of a cidery note or also just kind of lightens the body. Um, but the yeast kind of, I think, really is a dominant flavor and it's just very kind of spicy
0: finish to me. Cool. Yeah. I get that now.
1: <laughs> oh, that's what, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, totally. Beer flavor. I just not want to steal your thunder
0: yet. You know, yeah. Being a at all. <laughs> What's something interesting about that brewery?
2: Um, um. Let's see. They are having a tough time uh, right now. There are not a lot of people joining the monastic uh, mm-hmm. lifestyle. And uh, most of the monks at this monastery and a few of the other ones are uh, getting on in years. Okay. Um, I thought it was really interesting, though, when. Uh, I visited this monastery in 2012, uh, we saw a monk uh, being greeted by his children, it was interesting, he was a widower, Oh. and uh, went he became the... a, a monk after raising a family.
0: Huh. So that was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Well, what sounds good to you next? Um,
2: light or dark, as they was say at McSorley's. Let's go to dark. Yeah. Staying with Trappist? Yeah. All right. Why
0: not? This is Chimay. This is a uh, Chimay is Premier or Red Label? Thank you, sir. One of the more famous one, right? Chimay is the
2: largest uh, of the Trappist monasteries <laughs> in uh Cheers. In Belgium but also in the world. Um, they have a huge uh facility. So 100% of the beer is brewed at the monastery. Um but then they actually ship it off the monastery grounds to package it. Oh okay. Um cuz to be a trappist brewery and to have this special logo on your products, it has to be brewed on the monastery grounds.
0: So on the label of the actual bottle in, in one of the corners of the back of the, of the label, there's a little logo. I guess it's at a different place, yeah. yeah. And it, in, in order for it to be considered that, uh, that kind of beer, technically, it has to be brewed according to that specification. So reader, if you're looking for a true Trappist product, you can actually find that logo pretty easily, now that Brent's pointing it out. And they're, Like I said, they're on different parts of each label. And, and we'll get the logo in the show notes. Oh sure, uh, so we if can people do that. are yeah. curious what it totally, looks like. Totally, yeah. to yeah. look for?
2: Not to get too ahead of ourselves, too, but uh, it's not just beer. Trappist monasteries produce bread, cheese, fudge. Yeah. Wine. We have a Trappist candles. monastery
0: within uh, driving distance here in Florida, the uh, Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers, Georgia, where they produce fudge. Is their main yeah their main uh, industry, and also they're really beautiful gift shop
1: that I have box. not been there the monks are really nice but I like fudge you do
0: like fudge yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> you didn't know that <laughs> who does I don't
2: okay
1: he's weird yeah that kind of small small quantities yeah, like, yeah, it's so rich. yeah it's so rich no right. one's gonna sit down and eat like a Kit Kat size no. bar of fudge I mean they could so that's that's a very
0: different kind of, of, of taste to me Yeah, so they use uh,
2: dark candy sugar in it and some darker malts. Um, Chimay also does a lot of, uh, I mean, all these breweries are actually very high tech. Uh, But Chimay is one of the first of the Trappist monasteries to start doing yeast isolations. And they have a a yeast bank and uh, a state-of-the-art microbiology department.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome.
2: Uh, They actually supply yeast to a couple of the breweries, and then a couple of other breweries also help some of the other ones. There's like three. Out of the ones just in Belgium, um, which is like seven, uh, they kind of help each other out and feed yeast to each other when they need it.
0: Is it weird to say that it kind of tastes like raisins? No, not at all. Why does it taste like raisins?
2: Uh, Dark candy sugar Okay. does that. It's a caramelized... Uh, beet sugar. Oh, okay. Beet-derived yeah, sugar. Yeah. Definitely kind of gives it like a rum raisin kind mm-hmm.
0: of a thing. And, and the color in the glass was much, much darker. Yep. It has like a, Rich amber. a consistency chain is very different from the other one, too. As, as far as beer goes, I mean, it's, it's a liquid, and it's water-based. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like 90% water. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which they get from a well on site.
0: Wow, nice. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Alright, last one. What do you think? Round it out. Former Trappist. So this one you wouldn't find necessarily that you would not find at all that logo on.
2: There's no Trappist logo on this beer. Okay anymore. (laughs) it used to be a long time. They did that.
0: And this is the... uh, So this is
2: St. Bernardus, App 12, in Watu, Belgium. It's like uh, Western Flanders. Uh, they were originally mm. the West Valletteran monastery. Uh, monks had come over from France and founded the monastery, and then they ended up leaving Belgium, going back to France, and a family took over. And they kept the Trappist uh, logo and everything on it for a number of years until uh, they lost the right to be able to Oh, okay. that once uh, they kind of refined who can use that logo and stuff. The monks kind of decided to, to nip that in the bud. But
0: right. This one has this that.
2: This is actually brewed with the original recipe derived from the monks. And it's the original well that was dug for the monastery on site. Oh. Um, there's a very famous Trappist Brewery a few miles away from here, West who the monks came back and restarted oh. the monastery. But the West 12 is been voted the best beer in the world many, many times. Um, I think this one actually is better.
0: Ooh, hot takes from Brent the Brewer. All right.
2: It's the original.
0: Yeah. Duly noted. Duly noted. <laughs> Speaking of notes, how would you describe this one?
2: Let's try. And it takes a bit. It's going to be closer to the Chimay than yeah. the, the West Mall. Yep.
0: It's similar color in the glass. Yeah.
2: The aroma is a little bit stronger. This is also a bit stronger than the Chimay that we did. The Chimay is the, uh, the Premier. Let's see. How strong is that on camera? I can't remember off the top of my head. 7%. Mm-hmm. So, this one I believe is
0: uh, eight or nine. Could definitely taste that heat again in the back.
2: Ten percent, actually, ten yeah. percent. So, creamier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Less raisiny. raisin. Raisins, uh, dark bread,
0: like bread in the can,
2: like brown bread. Yeah. Yeah. Like sweet. Nobody's ever had bread in the can, bread. have you? I haven't. Okay. I've seen it. I've never actually
0: had I like it. That's weird. I know that's weird. Father Matt is looking at me. I, like,
1: I've, I've just never even heard of that. Yeah, bread in a can. It's
0: yep. like a Thanksgiving holiday staple at Publix. Whatever, man. You
1: said that to me like I needed help with the concept. Like <laughs> <laughs> Bread in, in a, a can. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, very good. Thank you. Yeah, Sounds thank good. you. This oh, is great.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, we'll put uh, we'll we'll put some way for for our listeners to be able to see those labels in case you want to try those. Once again, in moderation. Be careful. These are strong. Strong. Yeah. So, uh, describe that real quick. So, like a normal kind of like domestic beer that folks might have, you know, with, at a barbecue would probably run about five percent. Five percent alcohol. Yeah. So these are. Almost double that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So be careful.
1: Uh, good. These are delicious. We're going to move towards the calendar, and we're going to begin by praying the Collect for All Saints Day coming up on November 1st, as we'll talk about it at length. Brothers, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, who has knit together thine elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of thy son christ our lord give us grace so to follow thy blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that we may come to those ineffable joys that thou hast prepared for those who unfeignedly love thee through the same jesus christ our lord who with thee and the holy spirit liveth and reigneth one god in glory everlasting amen amen what's coming up father on the calendar well let's see
0: it's the 27th as we record this i think right or is it the 28th? It's the 27th of October as we record. Great. Uh, and Which means that yesterday was a major feast. That was uh, St. Simon and St. Jude. Worthy of our, our remembrance, Simon was a member of the Zealot Party. Jude wrote the letter that we quote in our intro. The church has a tradition that they were missionaries and martyrs in Persia. Uh, on October 29th, the church remembers James Hannington and the Martyrs of Uganda. He was a missionary bishop and the martyrs uh, who served with him to preach the gospel in Uganda in the 19th century. Of course, Sunday, November 1st. I always love it when, when we get feasts that line up on Sundays. It's been pretty cool. Uh, but we get a, a major feast, so you don't actually have to ask the bishop to transfer this. You can celebrate All Saints as much as you want on a Sunday. Um, St. Luke's, he had to actually talk to the bishop first. But anyway, um, so All Saints Day on Sunday, which we'll come back to in our sermon prep And on Monday, All
1: Souls Day are also called All Faithful Departed, which is Father Matt's Parish's Patronal Feast. Yeah, so what we're going to be doing, we are coming up on a year old. Our church is going to be a year old on November 3rd. So on Sunday, on All Saints Day, we'll have a baptism, which will be awesome. Afterwards, we're going to do a luncheon. And then since it's our Patronal Feast, we're going to transfer All Souls Day uh, to the following Sunday, November 8th. Uh, do a requiem and it's going to be fun replete with incense and black vestments and a necrology uh, so we're very very excited about that yeah it's kind of weird
0: uh i think on some level to be like kind of excited about especially all souls day because it is so focused on the church triumphant but i always look forward to it on the church calendar and i'm, I'm especially mindful of it this year as we've endured so much death uh, in, in our in our world, so much extra death, so um, I think that listeners, if you are able to go to an all-faithful departed or an all-souls day liturgy or join one online, I think that that would be very uh, helpful to you pastorally, I think it would be very cathartic to you as well So,
1: Yeah, I, I understand it's seen as kind of dark yeah. uh, but it, it's also, I find it Um, is so encouraging. I do too. Because, you know, which we skipped over this pericope in the Sunday lectionary, but in Matthew 22 when Jesus is going to bat with the Sadducees and he quotes from the law because they only accepted the law, so Jesus quoting from the prophets might have not uh, done that much for them. I'm the God of the living and and not of the dead. And the reminder of that the church is comprised of both the living and the dead. uh, And that Especially in times that are tumultuous, that this is not all there is. Right, right. So, so, so it can become this sort of joyful rebuke of gross materialism, hopelessness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes I get the question in from the pew why do we believe in the communion of the saints, both church triumphant and church militant? Because we believe in the resurrection uh, and that the life. Of the world to come is truly life. Even yeah. if it is a uh, life that is perfected, mm-hmm. it is still life nonetheless. Yeah. So and
1: we'll pick that back up in a minute. Yeah,
0: we will. <laughs> Alright, so uh thank you. Um now we're gonna get into what uh what is I'm very excited to talk about this with with Brent. He is um point of fact, Brent has actually had this conversation with a number of folks gathered at our parish a while back uh to talk about this top this very topic monastic brewing and um so i guess my first question for you is what what was it that got you interested in monastic brewing
2: i think it was just the beers uh the first i i didn't really drink uh until after i was of legal age as everybody should right (laughs) good same But, uh, I also didn't really care for the beers that I had that much. Sure. Um, I, anyway, the beers that I had that really blew my mind were monastic beers because they're not like anything that you find at your local gas station or, right. well, you might now.
0: Well, you might now, (laughs) yeah. uh,
2: 20 odd years ago, you did not. Yeah, here here in Audubon (laughs) Park, you can
0: get both Bud Light and, um, at least probably the St. Bernardus at the gas station. <laughs> you
1: might be able to now.
2: You might be able to now. It's and the un- monk, and monks know what
1: they're doing. Mm-hmm. And this is generational art form that's been passed 100%. down. Yes. Uh, they
2: rarely, rarely will change any recipes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, quite uh, hard to do that. Right. They have to speak with the abbot. I will say this, most of the beers, though, are not being brewed by actual monks. Very few actually have monks that do the labor mm. now. There are lay people that come in, but uh, obviously they oversee it, sure. and the lay people have to uh, abide by, abide by their, yeah. Yeah.
1: their rules. But, by but historically, it was monks oh, yes. soup to nuts. Yes,
2: yes, 100%. Okay. Because uh, originally, they all follow the rule of St. Benedict, where they have to live by the work of their hands. So, right. And they are the followers of the strictest sense of that rule. Yeah. So that's what makes them Trappist.
1: I think something uh, that people will be interested in, uh, especially if you came from you know particular traditions. I, I was raised Baptist. Mm-hmm. They might be thinking, you know, <laughs> what hath the church to do with beer? Like, how... How did the church, how does the church and beer, how did it come together? Right. Uh, definitely in the mid, uh, medieval times,
2: uh, beer was very, very important uh, to society. Uh, their water was not the cleanest. They didn't right. really understand microbiology and waste water and mm-hmm. water to water so yeah. some of that got mixed together and lots of people got sick yeah. but the brewing process actually cleans the water and makes everything safe uh, no pathogens can live in beer so beer can only make you sick if you drink too much
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice or
2: if, or if you're celiac
0: or if you're celiac yeah right <laughs> yeah well you mentioned the rule of St. Benedict um, and, and kind of yes from 530 <laughs> 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 have yeah. you heard of Saint Benedict <laughs> <bar? laughs> <laughs> I have, yeah, and I've read the rule. Um Yeah, so tell us tell us about that interaction with the monks and and uh with with you know the rule of Saint Benedict and brewing in particular.
2: Um well like I said before, they all you know, all the Trappist monasteries produce something, whether it's beer or not. Um but I would say probably back then. All the monasteries were producing beer, or definitely in the low countries, which would be Belgium and uh, Netherlands, and uh, definitely through central Central Europe. Uh, I know a lot of the western countries, like Italy and in uh, France, they're actually probably making wine because that was more prevalent, right? In that area. Um, but like I said, it was it's also about uh, hospitality, too, right? I know, right, yeah. uh, basically. All these Trappist monasteries too you can go and stay there for very cheap mm-hmm. um it's only like 15 euro a day uh to stay at the monastery but you are expected to live as the monks live while you're there so you're supposed to be at morning prayers i think at 4 a.m mm-hmm. and must remain silent if if that monastery has a vow of silence sure uh, west mala i believe they had just lifted it but, uh, at or when I was at Orval uh, they uh, were still in you know, still all silence yeah so, so you've done and this. that's all up to the Abbott. you've done this you've went and stayed I've been at to a few. I didn't actually we didn't actually stay at them no no we just like, the tours them? yeah oh, so very cool yeah we did Chimay, uh ackle Westmala orval I think that was it. And, well it was a artist too but that's right, not a monastery but, yeah. we went to West Valetzer too but uh, no one they're very very strict there no one's allowed within the monastery they don't do guests
0: sure um, they have a they, guest house but they don't yeah, you're not allowed yeah.
2: and they have, a, they have a very large cafe though. right one of the largest cafes we went to so you can go get beer and eat but you don't really visit the monastery but I've been to Orval a couple times. Actually, it was just in Orval last year end of last year. Uh, we were honored to become, uh, Orval ambassadors. So we represent the beers here in this area. Right. Yeah.
1: And where is that located? That is way down
2: South in Belgium, right yep. on the French and Luxembourg border. Uh, Luxembourg city is actually like the closest major city there. Yeah. Um, I chose to go through Brussels when getting there, just because I know Brussels a little bit better, more of to spend time there, but, excuse me, it was like a two or three hour drive to the monastery, That's which awesome. was a bit of a bummer, I was there completely alone, oh. and we were at Orval, and they took us, you know, fed us, and they let us, basically we could have as much Orval as we could drink responsibly, and I had wine. 'Cause I was like, I gotta drive like three hours. <laughs> but they uh if you go to the Orval cafe there too, you can get the Patters beer
0: there. It's oh, only yeah, there. T- Tell us about that. Tell us about the Patters beer. Yes.
2: Yeah, so like I said, uh these are all higher in alcohol. Um and obviously the monks are not drinking these throughout the day every day, they're not gonna get any work done <laughs> or be up for prayers at four in the morning. <laughs> So they all brew much lower alcohol beers, uh, usually around four percent. Sure. Even lower than what you'd find in like a standard. Yeah. Uh, American craft beer. Um, but that's what they have at meals. Yeah. And then uh, the higher ones, uh, higher strength ones, are usually for like different holidays or special events.
0: Right. You said once that um, they're 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 for feasts and mm-hmm. you know, for the major feasts and for like when dignitaries come. Yeah. Big visits. And the bishop comes maybe. Right. Yeah. So in essence, what you're saying is um, the the words that come to mind in Latin are aura and "labora," mm-hmm. that the 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 beating heart of the reason why these happen is because of the 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 work and prayer, the prayer and work of yeah. of, of the monasteries.
2: Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like I'd say that earlier, Chimay is the largest uh, of the breweries, um, and all of these breweries they're Trappists. Not the San Bernardus one. They're all non-profit. Yeah. Okay. Not-for-profit companies. So, like I said, Chimay is also... It's the largest employer in its region. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's cool. But once the needs of the monastery is met, okay. all the other profits go back into the community. Okay, right on. And what does it mean to be Trappist? Uh, that you are a Cistercian monk. Okay. Uh, follower of St. Benedict's, but you uh, keep that... To the strictest the strictest order. Okay. Of yeah. Benedictine monks. Um you actually told me some of this. I don't correct you have to help me out. What's that? Uh why they wear all white robes traditionally. Oh, um you or, you, or habits, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've got me. Um
2: you told me a reason why that I can't remember like, I can't remember. They, sep- they want to separate themselves I think from That's what I was gonna say is yeah.
0: that the, the usual habit uh, for a Benedictine order is black. Oftentimes you'll see, you know, black monks. Um, that refers to the habit that a Benedictine would wear, and the Cistercians usually wear a um, some kind of white. Um, the word has just jumped out of my head. Um, some like a scapular. Is it, is yeah, it, yeah. Um, well, they used to have, a, they
2: have a, it's like a black like over.
0: Yeah, and I, I can't remember the actual name of the the garment. So you know, somebody in the comments section can light me up. But um, it looks like another smock over the cassock. Um, but, um, you know, it's generally speaking an off-white or white, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the characteristic of a Cistercian. Yep. So what, is there, um, is there anything else you can tell us about, like, what's, what, what makes a Cistercian different than a Benedictine? I mean, they're all Benedictines, like, but... Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think it's just that, like, we, like I was saying, they uh, are the strictest. Sure. So they, uh, they take everything to the extreme I would say to
0: when when uh, to a certain point. Like I said, like a
2: number of the monsters we visited are still they'll take a vow of silence. Right. And uh, some of the lay people are actually telling us that they they still find a way to communicate even over the phone. Yeah. Like someone will call like the workshop and need something and they'll tap or have their own kind of secret Code without actually talking one of verbally, our, one of our professors of, of
0: blessed memory at Nashota House—was uh, spent many years as a Benedictine monk, and they would. He told us about how, under, like in Lent or in Holy Week, they would take, you know, they would be in silence, in greater silence. He would say, um, where they had to figure out how to talk to each other, you know, like call down to the shop and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, click it out or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and a lot of people might be curious as to why why the word Cistercian or why the word Trappist. But uh, just as a, a brief a brief explainer, um, Cistercian simply refers to, or excuse me, tra- uh, Trappist simply refers to uh, the the abbey from which right. this movement uh, originated, which is um, Our Lady of La Trappe in France. So Trappist is uh, is a reference okay. to that. Um, and of course, the Cistercians, the longer name is the uh, the order of the strict observance, or whatever it is in French, but um, but in essence, they take uh, nerding out a little bit um, in in the period in which they were they they were um, they originated. They saw the Benedictines as having a bit of a living large habit, pun intended. They were <laughs> um, they were instead of uh, instead of. Giving out the wealth to the community and serving the community, that the there was a sense afoot that the, the Benedictines had become a little high in the hog, mm-hmm. um, and so the Cistercians was a uh, the Cister- Cistercian order was a um, a reform movement yep. to kind of get back to that uh, original observance of the order or of the rule.
1: Yeah, they were trying to give Benedict what he really wanted. Because there's a, <laughs> there's a funny line in the Rule of Saint Benedict where he's talking about the Psalter and he's like, in times past. The devoted would say the entire psalter every day. Yeah. But I'll give you a week, basically, is how he <laughs> said. I'm not paraphrasing, of course. So. Yeah. But but he he's, he saw that as a sort of compromise <laughs> right, right, for the, for the weakness of of men's flesh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what a Trappist is. But
0: um, can you speak directly to? I mean, you've already kind of uh, you've already kind of indicated this. But what what is it about their process that makes it? That much better what makes their beer that much better than even some of the other craft beers that are so popular
1: nowadays
2: right I think their attention to detail and uh, like I said they don't change their recipe you know hardly at all like sure. it's a very big deal when that happens um, they're following these traditional uh, recipes uh, like I said a West Smala triple is kind of new but I would say the Chimay Red and like I said, the San Bernardus uh, have 12 recipe and the West Valletta and 12 recipe uh, go back much farther. Um, like Orval, for instance, uh, the monastery itself was founded in the 1200s. Um, I'm not sure what this beer is, probably not the same recipe they were brewing then, but, right. but that monastery has roots that go that far back.
0: Right. So. Hey, so. Uh- Real quick question: What what are some places where I mean you would mentioned the low countries, but where where can we find these breweries in general? Um, so but what are some of them? Yeah,
2: the majority of them were in Belgium and one in Netherlands uh, for the longest time, and now they're just popping up all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it's kind of cool though to see and to think about these monasteries actually have to uh, get permission from the pope to oh really become a brewery and to do these things so it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see
0: let's do the roll call
2: uh okay so on my old notes from the last time we talked about this i have eleven <laughs> yeah trappist breweries in the world but there's 12 yeah now
0: um which so is yeah. exciting for us yeah. because well we'll get to we'll get into that uh
2: out of belgium we have roqueforts which uh spoiler alert they have a new beer coming out
0: that is what. That's exciting. It's big exciting. big
2: deal. First <laughs> new beer in decades. Really? Yes. That is pretty cool. Actually, they're yeah. doing a triple. So they have a six, eight, and ten degree. It's basically like the Chimay, They're all varying degrees of the same kind of recipe, less alcohol, mm-hmm. going up to the ten. Uh, now they're going to do a blonde beer. Oh, okay. That. So it's kind of cool. What would uh, be a
0: blonde beer that our listeners might be aware of? Uh, out of
2: let's say out of the Trappist Chimay Whites or the
1: Cinque sults?
0: what about something domestic
1: think Publix let's see yeah which monastery brews Smirnoff Ice? <laughs> <laughs> oh we'll get there <laughs> that's
2: lower in the list <laughs> um, uh, let's see like so like a Belgian like blonde Abbey Ale that might be available maybe not an Abbey Ale but you'll Abbey. see you will see, like, like uh, Delirium Tremens, maybe? Okay. Pink Elephants? Yep. That's all kind of based on a lot of these historic Belgian beers, but they're just, you know, a lake up, like, you know, as a business. What about Shock Top? No. <laughs> 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 well, no, that's kind of that's based on an old Belgian beer, uh, Hogarth. Yeah, I like but, that uh, one. That was the yeah. first
0: beer I ever liked. Anyway. Pierre Sellis
2: yeah. created that recipe. That's that? another show. Okay, yeah. He's, he was not a mom. Part two. Sorry. Okay, so Roqueforts, West Velleter, and West Mala, Chimay, Orval. Actually, I should do this without looking.
0: <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah. We're already Chimay, impressed. Chimay,
2: Orval, Ackle, uh, Latrap, and Zundertz are both in the Netherlands.
0: So these are in these are in the Low Countries, all of those.
2: Yes. Yeah. Uh, then we have Austria. We have Stept Ingazel. They're pretty interesting. They do kind of Belgian-style beers, but they put a twist. They use honey from the monastery oh. in their beer. It's kind of cool. Uh, from Italy, they have Tre Fontaine, which uh, is also very different from all the other uh, beers. Uh, they put eucalyptus that's grown on the monastery grounds in the beer. Very herbal. Hmm. Pretty cool. Uh spencer from massachusetts in the great us of a but that was where i was going with the smirnoff ice so they don't necessarily do smirnoff ice but they started off doing more belgian style recipes but now they're doing new england style hazy ipas they just hit a pumpkin beer i mean they're doing america They're
0: we yeah. are doing Trappist American style. Yeah. So what he's referring to <laughs> there so. are, are, like, within the kind of craft brew market. Yeah. Those are things that are consistently, especially over the past couple of years, very popular. Yes. So. Which I don't know, other than having conversations with a guy who does craft beer for a living.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the newest one, we uh, were texting about it last night. Yeah. It's in yeah. Uh, the United Kingdom. England.
0: Yeah. Um, Near, we'll,
2: your, where your families? Yeah. Like they're, they're, two, hours, right? they're
0: two hours away from that. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know if they'll actually make their way up, but yeah. I kind of want to when I go over there next after COVID. Yeah, yeah. And we go with you. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's in Lancashire, right? But. Yes.
2: Leicestershire. Sure.
0: Leicestershire. Sure, excuse yeah. me.
2: Uh, and there's also one in France. Uh, they don't actually, they are a Trappist monastery and they do produce... Different things, but they uh, have a beer produced for them by Chimay. But that beer technically doesn't carry the Trappist logo because it's not made on their grounds. Oh, okay. area grounds. So. Cool. It's Mondacats. Mondacats. Mon I don't know how you say it in French. That was uh, not great.
0: Ka. Ka. I think. Mondacat. Yeah, yeah there's, not, there's, uh, there's no vowel next to the T. Anyway, um, well, as we kind of wrap up this section, um, you mentioned a little bit about like some of the terminology that might not be as familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the potter beer, which is the kind of low alcohol yeah. content. They also, Brothers beer. Also call it a, like a single, abbey single. Sure. So tell us about you know what are the what, what are what is a double? What is a triple? What are the what does that actually right. mean?
2: Right. Right. So uh, it all had to do with. Uh, the original, like the gravity, the specific gravity of the warts, which is the unfermented beer. Okay. Which is a direct correlation to the strength of the alcohol. So a double would basically infer that it was double the strength, if you will. Okay. From the powder's beer. Um, then the apt would be the strongest that we see. So like Chimay Blue Label would be their apt, if you will. Um, the more modern phrases would be the triple, which we discussed with the West Mall, mm-hmm. um, just because that's like a newer recipe. And a uh, quad is also kind of a newer recipe. It's, it's lots of, uh, a lot of people like to say that quads don't necessarily exist as a style, but there are Trappist monasteries that produce a beer, and they put it on the label, so right. we'll go with it. <laughs> uh, but it's basically very similar to an apt. It's just that it's not as... Dark and rich. It's a little bit lighter, but it, it is going to be as a strong. It's going to be sure. nine, ten percent, maybe more. So,
0: and we were talking about a, a kind of beer called an ale, right?
2: Yes, all of these are ales. Yes. So what so. would
0: what would what would be distinct about an ale versus you know I think a lot of Americans and English folks um, are probably used to drinking lager. Yep.
2: Yeah, so this basically in the beer family tree, there's only two beers. Mm-hmm. There are ales and there are lagers, and that really is the species of yeast that ferment. Them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so an ale would be a top fermented beer, or as they would say in Belgium, a beer of high fermentation. Uh, and a lager would be bottom fermented,
0: low fermentation.
2: But basically all that refers to is where the yeast physically sits in the liquid.
0: When it's fermented. Top,
2: top fermented it tends to be on the top of the surface, and lager that sits in the bottom. But it is a, a separate species of uh, yeast. And they so all the ales are all like Saccharomyces, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and they're all it's all the same like species, just you know subsets. So that that produce different flavors. But uh, they like kind of warmer temperatures. Lagers tend to like cooler temperatures.
0: Which is why lagers were brewed in places like Germany, right? Right. They, like, um, and they and produce
2: stuff. a much cleaner flavor. Like all these beers we tried today to have all those spicy phenolics and esters going on mm-hmm. and lagers. That's why they became so popular was because they were just so clean. Clean tasting. Cool. Um, and interesting, they've determined lager yeast is actually from the west. From a uh, native to Patagonia. Oh, really? Yeah. Made its way into Europe on clothing from travelers.
0: Whoa! Wow! That's so cool. <laughs> explorers
2: during the age of uh, exploration. And stuff wow! Like
0: that. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: Well. It's Amazing. Yeah. There's there's a lot more. There's this is this is <laughs> my head's spinning. Things. Yeah. Just from the conversation. Okay. Yeah. You good? <laughs> no, it's just a lot to take in. It's, yeah. it's very interesting. It really is an art and a science. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that's great about um, sitting at Brent's feet is that you can always go, you can walk through you can walk any person through the history of it, and you can walk any person through the science of it, which if, if listeners are all interested in the science of brewing, it's fascinating and crazy. Yeah. Here's one piece here, Here's one totally random. I learned the other day that there is a specific like kind of yeast or like a, like, a, like a microbiological thing that tastes like bananas. Yep. And that's how...
2: Isoamyl acetate.
0: Say that again. Isoamyl acetate. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently that's how they make banana flavoring. Yes. Who knew that? I didn't know that. It's a
2: natural... uh, Actually, a lot of these yeasts, some of these beers have some of that in it. A little bit of banana banana esters. Uh, German Hefeweizen is the
0: most famous. So cool. Yeah there 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 is so much to cover and unfortunately uh we've barely scratched the surface so maybe another time we can get a little bit deeper in um but i know uh i know that you tend to like not necess- you, you love these beers mm-hmm. um and uh you're very proud of being a representative for orval yes which is quite the achievement so congratulations yes. on that again but what are what are some things that you like personally not to the exclusion of these things mind mm-hmm. But what are some things that you like personally? I love
2: all these beers, but like we've discussed many times so far, they're a little strong. Yeah, they are strong. Can't really drink these time? Not really. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I think the more that I've been in this uh, world, uh, the more I start to appreciate lagers more and more. Um, There are a few uh, monastic breweries that produce lots of lager beer. Oh, really? Um, They just are not Trappist Mm -hmm. monasteries. Um, Germany has a few of those. Ondex is one. They do uh, traditional German lagers, and I think they uh, they do a Weiss beer as well. Okay. Um, Weinstaffan uh, was a yeah. former former monastery. I like that one. Uh, they're the oldest brewery in the world. Ten fifty, I believe, is wow. When they yeah. first started Pretty brewing. There. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and they were, uh, and now they're actually one of the leading universities for brewing in uh, Germany. What's That's one of the few places where you can become become a Browmeister. Oh, really? A Brewmaster, yeah. Most American brewery brewers like we don't like to say we're brewmasters unless you really unless you go to one of those places. You say head brewer or something. Yeah.
0: So I, I think, to me, to kind of to, to, to talk about the the, the the religious aspect of it, I think for me, you know, I, I always try my best for the way that I practice my faith and the way that I communicate the faith to the world, to my congregation. I always wanted to be connected to, rooted in 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 the tradition. And to me, especially after having this kind of conversation with you so many times, you know, knowing the deep history of, of beer and, and beer's relationship with the church is a way to kind of have a living, breathing memory with, you know, Monk, somebody who shows up to a feast in twelve eighty or whatever, right? Um, to have what
2: they were, what they were drinking. Yeah,
0: and to me, that's very moving when I think about it, um, even when I'm sober. And um, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> no one laughed at. It. Uh, no, but I think it's moving to think about those just normal daily things that we can interact with that, you know, keep us in touch with. Uh, with a past, the living and breathing past of the church.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's also another reason I got connected with these beers early on. Is uh, I actually studied history at PBA, so I have a degree in history. Right. So these all have great histories and stories to tell. So yeah, definitely something that maybe connect with
0: it. Yeah, totally. Um, well thank you for sharing that um, again there's so much and we, we even left out some of some stuff so maybe we'll come back and revisit some of that but um, is there anything that you are excited about here at red light any projects that you're particularly pumped about anything you'd like to plug um, for our small audience we've been doing some really fun
2: lager brewing here during this uh, 2020 Yeah,
1: you have. <laughs>
2: um, uh, we have an oak fermenter, a fooder, mm-hmm. very large oak tank that we have uh, converted from doing sour wild beers into doing clean beers now, so we're doing lagers very traditionally in uh, oak, which is not really done in Very few places do that.
0: They recently bottled and released uh, a beer called the Bayern Pilsner, mm-hmm. Bayern Pils, Yes, um, and it is really something. It's very clean um it's just a little bit of oak a little bit of oak it's like a it's like magic and it is not super high alcohol no so, low
2: alcohol low yeah for 4.5 yeah
0: yeah um and you've got some you've got some exciting kind of movement afoot here as well too you've
2: mm-hmm. yeah we are working on putting in a kitchen yeah
0: um You've got a, a, a chef working here from time yes, to time. Yes. She's amazing and doing great. Chef work.
2: Jess Santalo. Um maybe next year we could uh we could do some cool actual feast celebrations with some of these beers. I'm down.
0: It's <laughs> awesome, yeah. Um so if you are ever close by listeners to uh, if you're ever in Orlando and are feeling uh, you know either now in covid time or after covid time or whatever um red light red light is easily found and uh, they'd love to have you here and if you would just like to run by and buy some buy some beer to take home they will do that too yes yeah, so they have a little shop little bottle shop set up yeah um they're good folks and um your uh, your staff are all wonderful here if uh, if they're a great <laughs> follow on instagram rachel they uh, their social media person yes and erica brent's wife do a just some amazing work, their new videos that they've been doing to I don't know how much of it is to entertain themselves or to sell product, but they are incredible lately.
2: Yeah, I don't I, I kinda teeters back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: thanks again for joining us. Thanks yeah, for thank having you. Me.
1: Thanks. All right, we're gonna move on to the sermon first pass. And we're looking at uh as far as the lessons, uh, Revelation chapter seven verses nine through seventeen, uh, portion of Psalm thirty-four, the epistle is First John chapter three, verses one through three, and then the gospel is Matthew chapter five one through twelve. Uh, you'll know that passage, the Beatitudes. Uh, but typically, what I find on uh, All Saints Day and All Saints Tide is that I tend to preach a thematic.
2: Yeah. Sermon. So do
1: I. And try to do some teaching about the communion of saints. Because in Anglicanism, there's a wide array of reaction sure. to the communion of the saints. People are happy uh, to say the Apostles' Creed, but, but some perhaps uh, not to go much beyond that. You know, if they, if they come from a, a, a more Protestant, Baptist, non denominational background, when you start talking about saints in particular, Uh, Beatified ones um, as a sort of different class of Christian, if you will. It makes people like very, very nervous. Right. So I like to get into just uh, what are the implications of the communion of saints. Uh, First, to just start with, what a wonderful thing we we have that we're not separated from Christ uh, and the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ is not ripped asunder by death right and it can be this safeguard i think against a sort of deism that you read the bible and like look how god was at work and the things that he did in and through people and then after revelation was written uh god went off and did something else we're kind of we're kind of left with some principles and precepts and we'll try to be good moral just people right whatever and, and reading the lives of the saints Uh, is such an encouragement that that God... There was no day when the canon was closed and, you know, God dialed it down. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt the cloud of witnesses indwells us. And, you know, as the colleague says, I mean, it's to to follow the saints in all virtuous and godly living. Uh, It's not to follow them instead of Christ. It's very similar to what uh, Paul said to his churches. Follow me. Uh, as i uh, follow christ and then you know if i'm feeling uh froggy to, to <laughs> get into the the intercession of the saints the the idea that um the saints are praying for the the church on earth which which that can make people very very nervous but but i kind of try to start the simple and to start with a question this is a series of questions Ask, are the dead Active in the life of the church, and from scripture, I think we can see yes, we can go right to Revelation 6. We see the souls of the martyrs under the altar of God, and they are praying, they are petitioning God for justice. So, yes, they're active, and their primary activity is prayer. Yeah, so then it's like, well, that's great that they're doing that, but we shouldn't pray to saints. And then I'll say, well. Technically, we're not praying to saints. I mean, we are in that word. If praying just means talking, then sure. Right. We're asking them to pray for us. Right. And they're like, well, I don't need that because I can just go straight to God, which is true. True. But then I'll ask a question. just And not in an aggressive way. Just just try to get them to be open to it. I'll say, um, do you ever ask other people to pray for you right. that are living? And, oh yes. Well, why do you do that? You don't need them to pray for you. You can just go straight to straight to God. I guess that's a little aggressive, maybe. <laughs> and and <laughs> Brent, Brent just makes a little tiny, <laughs> a little tiny. Sorry. So, so, so yes, we we ask people to pray for. us. So I say, when you really need prayer, when it's hitting the fan, what sort of people? Do you ask to pray for you? Yeah. Do you call the person who hasn't been to church in 25 years, and only goes on Christmas and Easter? Well, well no. I'll, I'll pick someone who's really devout. That yeah. You know, those, the people we know that we call them in the Baptist Church prayer warriors. That you know, what, you want them praying for you because when they pray, like Something heaven, happens. heaven opens yeah. up and God's <laughs> listening. Yeah. I said exactly. You know, James five, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's all we're doing. We're, we're saying that God is the God of the living. That we're not separated from Christ by death. The church itself is not rent asunder by death. It's comprised of both right. the living and the dead. The church uh, triumphant, expectant, and militant, and they're engaged. This great cloud of witnesses is cheering for us and interceding and bringing uh, our needs and praying for our salvation, bringing this, of course, all to the throne of God himself. Right. And. I've, I've found it it can be moderately effective you know sometimes people are like yeah you yeah, know that was nice but no but but it's just yeah. I, I just find it so incredibly I find it encouraging, encouraging especially because
0: you know for me a lot of when I think of all saints versus all souls I, I always think of all saints in terms of um, you know the active present ministry of the church and I really do try my best to be an encouragement and invitation to greater holiness sure um, and to know that There are those that have passed on before us to pray for us to encourage you know our our walk uh to be you know a straighter path with christ you know um i always love seeing the beatitudes for example on a uh, you know for all saints day because it's a reminder that the holiness of the church is an active embodied holiness it's not just that we walk around glowing because I know I don't. Sure. Um, and I don't necessarily, and I know for a fact I don't like resonate or radiate God's goodness all the time. But in Christ, with Christ's help and with, uh, through the grace of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and to some extent by the intercession of the saints, I may, um, I must, <laughs> I think, um, live a life that is worthy of the calling and the worthy calling of, of the saints. Yeah. The called out ones. Yeah. Um, the the word, the Greek word for the church, ekklesia means called out ones. Yeah. Um, and the word, the Greek word for you know holy, hagios, is another word that means you know kind of like holy or set apart. And those are all words that I want you know both my congregation and myself to to be once again invited into that they that they realize that. Um, there is this active element of Christian living. Um, you know, and, and, and frankly speaking, you know, especially now where everything is nuts, you know, as we record this, we're about a week out from a very contentious election where Christian identity on the right and the left are, like, kind of blocked in with how people vote. Um, and frankly. Um, I want people to know both in the, in the world of the church and to those who are looking outside that there is far more to holiness, far more to the life of the church than something as reduced to how we vote, Republican, Democrat or whatever. Just as a, just as a kind of contemporary example. that I want the church to be known as being filled with holy people on the move to glorify Christ and serve their community. And, and not as something else that is a second order. Yeah. So I don't exactly
1: know how I'll bring that up in the sermon, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I think there, another thing you can press in on is, um, you know, when it always kind of makes me uh, chuckle and maybe a little angry uh, when. You know, you go through parts of the gospel, and especially the gospel of Luke, Jesus says some very intense things, yeah. and you'll hear sermons like, "Well, Jesus is using hyperbole," and just immediately you mitigate the force of these exhortations by right. saying, "He sounds like he's telling us to do something really extreme." Good thing he doesn't really mean it. Right. now he was, I mean, you're a pretty
2: extreme guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then you
1: you look at the lives of the saints. Yeah. And I mean, starting with the apostles. We have people all throughout history that did not write it off as hyperbole. Right, uh, Abba Anthony, who was a profound influence on—I mean, the whole Western world, particularly Saint Benedict. Yeah, um, he was in church. What started his whole monastic vocation? He was in church and he heard the gospel, where Jesus tells the rich young ruler, "Go sell all that you have and follow, follow me." You. Yeah, and Anthony says, "Well, Athanasius writes it, but I guess he." It's fine. yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for footnoting. <laughs> um, uh, when I heard those words, I knew that they were meant for me personally. Yeah you know G- G- this is our, our Lord speaking to us and and also realizing again, this isn't something for them but it's something for us like the call to holiness and to know God and to be, and to be united with him we have everything that we need for life and godliness, so this isn't sort of uh, pie in the sky. Uh, and then to reiterate, I mean, this is not the, the communion of saints does not lead us away from Jesus. I mean, I understand there have been aberrations, sure, and course. there can be misunderstandings or people doing things in, in ignorance. I, I'm not discounting that. But the logic of Hebrews 11 and 12, I mean, this the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and Therefore, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily entangles us right. and talk about how great the saints are. No, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on whom? Jesus, the right. author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah. And so when you, when you get it right, it's like the best thing in the world. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a gift to the church. Yeah. A gift from God.
0: Yeah. And, you know, All Saints to me really is the day where we get to marvel um, and remember the beauty of holiness. Yeah. It's a good, a good chance for us to talk about, you know, everything that is not only good about the people in church, but like what do the people in church do? What do they produce? Certainly good works, works of mercy. But here we, here we are talking about, you know, something that is a good thing that God has allowed for us to, to enjoy, something like beer, right, together. Um, and there's a way that the, the holiness of the church inspires things of beauty, things to enjoy, um, that show us that, you know, life life is meant to be enjoyed even as we work, uh, as we work for the betterment of the world and the kingdom uh, and to glorify God um, who created us. And All Souls is the next day. And, yeah. Um, it's kind of
1: related. Yeah, it's part of all saints Tide, it's the commemoration of the faithful departed so these uh those who have died in christ they're not canonized saints but uh we we pray for the dead and that's probably even a more contentious question probably so yeah why are we praying for the dead um because certain you know a lot of people billions of people are, are committed to a sort of view of salvation that like the the destination is fixed. But That's not what's being argued um, when, you're, when you're praying for the dead. Uh, but, but why would you do that? Well, I think at the very least, I think even someone who is like, got the most uber Protestant view of salvation out there, I would still come back and say, all right, uh, for those who have not yet attained to uh, the beatific vision, but they, they died in a state of grace, they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. They were one of his children. It's at least say, okay, what about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, he's writing to Christians, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. Right. And I think you can at least... Pray that God would be merciful to those who we lost on, on the day of judgment because right. we're all going to have to give, a, give an account uh, but there's also it, it's not just like this negative uh, sort of thing of like oh they're going to be in trouble uh, sort of thing um, but it's it's ultimately rooting our hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I forget exactly I think it's in the, the funeral rite in the book of Conqueror those whom we love but see no longer right. yep. remembering them remembering that to die is not a cessation of existence but you have a conscious post-mortem one and are you're uniting with Christ, you're resting uh, in his bosom if you will uh, and, and that hope uh, of resurrection for those who have passed on and, and those of us, not to be morbid who in the blink of an eye will pass on as well yeah
0: yeah I mean um, one of the ways that uh, especially traditional prayers move us is to be prepared you know to how many times do we go through some of the old prayer formularies and realize there there there's an emphasis on being prayed up just in sure. case the worst happens um, I've found that All Souls Day is especially um, it's especially helpful in pastoring because so often, whether we like it or not and I'm not saying that we're so callous as to think this is how we mean to do it or that there's any intention behind it but you know the 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 cycles of grief do not necessarily end at the requiem or at the funeral sure and how many times does grief you know even in people who have grieved healthily come back up and need to be addressed and how wonderful it is that at least there's one more thing that the church can do and offer to be kind and care for folks who are either grieving anew because of the passing of a loved one recently or grieving yet again as the cycle of grief uh, comes up. And I found that, um, you know, my, the congregations that I meet on All Souls Day are, are different every year. Yeah. Um, and I found I found that that that's important. Um, obviously, I want to see you know the same people. I'm, I'm glad they're there because I know they're praying. But to know that this is yet another way for the church to do something not only that honors God again, not only that glorifies Him in the liturgy, but also deeply cares about the affairs, uh, uh, the emotional state, the the, the spiritual state estate of of, of of the body. Um, so I, I really feel like. You know, All Souls Day is like one of the most practical liturgies in the entire year because despite the sure hope of the resurrection despite everything that we believe is true about Jesus rising again and his guarantee of new life, despite that, death still sucks and it makes us sad um, and that's okay and All Souls is one of the days where we can acknowledge that and be careful in hope. So I love All Souls Day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well said. I mean the 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 church year, the life of the church covers everything. Yeah. The, the good and the bad, the the highs and the lows, and that's a that's a real gift. Instead of just uh, follow Jesus, and your life's gonna be great. Right. <laughs> Which anyone who's I think attempted at all to follow Jesus knows that that's not the case, no, nor is that the promise of our Lord. It will be of course great in one perspective because we're united with him. That doesn't mean the circumstances of your life any sort of prosperity theology that if you're a Christian things are just going to, it's going to be easy for you now um, so, so yeah it's it, it, we need to deal with those things and it's good that we, need, we get to preach the gospel in the midst of people's uh, pain and loss. All right, Father, would you close us out I'd in prayer? Um, the, the collect for All Souls Day.
0: Yeah, we just want to uh, want to thank Brent for joining us. Yeah. And, and thanks for having up, me. Taking yeah. us to school. Yeah, this is so great.
2: I actually, <laughs> actually learned a lot too. Well, thank you. I have <laughs> some questions for when we're done. It's good. <laughs> I took notes. <laughs> oh, sweet.
0: Um, what a pleasure it is to be with you again and uh, to, to have your voice recorded with us. It's a real honor. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, let's pray together. O God, the Maker and Redeemer of all believers, grant to the faithful departed the unsearchable benefits of the passion of thy Son. Grant on the day of his appearing that they may be manifested as thy children through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.